0: Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by Dr Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractic Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. Well, we're back to large educational face-to-face events and the 2022 ACA Sports Symposium will be held in Melbourne later this month. Looking through the list of speakers and topics, I saw many that pricked my interest. One of these being deadlifts fix everything. I think the author may, may have had her tongue firmly pla- uh, tongue firmly placed in her cheek when she thought up that title, but it certainly got me thinking because my experience of deadlifts is one of those exercises that can be a bit of a double-edged sword. On one hand, they're great for building extensor tone. It's certainly part of my regular workout. And of course, on the other hand, it's a very easy way for people to injure their low backs. So we're here today to to talk through this topic with one of the symposium speakers in Dr. Sarah Elston. Now, Sarah is a chiropractor and owner of the Healthy Joint in Melbourne. She's completed her Australian Strength and Conditioning Association coaching course in uh, 2018. She has an interest in strength-based sports, in particular powerlifting, and has worked with athletes, including CrossFit athletes, Premier League cricketers, NPL soccer clubs and the Australian karate team. Hi Sarah, welcome to the ACA podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well it is a real pleasure to have you here. Perhaps um, just you could give us a little bit of a a background on your journey as a health professional so far and how you became interested in sports.
1: Um, Well to be honest it's been a bit of a professional and personal journey for me um, best described as I kind of fell into it um, because when I first graduated I was like most female chiropractors and I was like I'm gonna work with babies um, But from day one in practice I just attracted those sports injuries I found yeah. myself doing a lot of extremities, a lot of soft tissue work, uh, taping and researching exercises in my spare time because I found people who exercise actually got a lot more from their adjustments and they saw me less in practice as well. Um, At the same time, I was kind of dealing with a pretty bad chronic low back condition myself. Um, I have a spondy and when I was in fifth year Cairo, I was in a car accident, I fractured my low back again um, and I got a really lovely uh, herniated disc to go along with it. So it really affected me in my first years of practice, it really impacted my mental health and consequently I gained a lot of weight. Um, But eventually I sort of found my way into the gym and that's when I got introduced to the deadlift. And after that first deadlift, it was like magic for me. All of a sudden, I felt better about myself. A lot of the pain went away. Um, so fast forward, uh, eventually I got myself a strength and conditioning coach. Um, I became thoroughly obsessed with powerlifting. Um, and then sort of about uh, quite a few years into it, um my strength and conditioning coach i've had now for like seven years i think he got a bit sick of me asking questions all the time yeah. um so he suggested i go and do a strength and conditioning course um and this happened to coincide with uh, the ASCA strength and conditioning course that the sports Cairo association puts on
0: yep. so
1: i put on my big girl pants and i went and i loved it from the first moment i met a whole bunch of like-minded practitioners and it's really It's just developed and it is continuing to develop from
0: there. Well, I was thinking if, you know, for if we're thinking about the perfect case study to look into this topic, someone who's got a spondy, (laughs) has had a fracture, a disc injury, you know, um, gained a few uh, kilos, you're you're the perfect example. So your authority just from your experience. So let's get into talking about the topic then. So the deadlift, I'm assuming most people who are listening to this podcast are very familiar with what the exercise is but let's not make any assumptions let's uh define exactly what it is and maybe also talk about a few of the different variations that are commonly performed
1: yeah, so a deadlift is just essentially picking something up off the ground and then putting it back down again um, it's a hip hinge movement Um, In non-layman terms, it's a compound movement. It's a posterior closed kinetic chain exercise that we predominantly use to strengthen the glutes, the hamstrings, the core muscles. But because it's a compound movement, it strengthens everything. Um, In terms of variations, there's there's a lot, Um, but I can just cover a few of my sort of big ones if you like.
0: Yes, please Um, do.
1: yeah, we've got um the we've got the conventional deadlift. So that's the the standard, traditional. The my personal favourite, the king. That's just the normal one that we see, where you see people bend over to a bar, pick up the weight, and put it back down again. Um, and then we've got uh, another variation that's the non-conventional, or what we call the sumo deadlift. Um, this like the name suggests, is you're in a sumo wrestling position. Um, so you've got a really wide stance. So the hips are uh, really externally rotated. The tibians are rotated. Hands are on uh, inside of the knee to this one. And you, because you actually start this one in a more upright position, this variation is sort of generally considered a little bit safer for low backs because there's less torque through that L4, L5 joint, and it really recruits some of the bigger gluteals and quad muscles. Um, it also tends to work really well for those people with the higher leg-to-torso ratio, so people with long legs. Um, and powerlifters love it due to the mechanical advantage because you, uh, you just don't have to pull the weight um, as far up, essentially. Um, mm. We've also we've got the Romanian um, this is the gym influencer favorite you'd see it all over the place it's right. um that yeah it's the it, the stiff leg variation is all, also pretty much the same thing as your rdl um, except with the rdl you keep your knees slightly bent to approximately 15 degrees easy for us to understand as practitioners to so pages i just tell them soft knees Um, this is your classic hip hinge exercise. So a hip hinge is just basically you bend over at the hips and it's a movement that a lot of us do in everyday life. Um, And it's also an action that a lot of our patients do in everyday life. But um, with this one, you actually start the movement at the top of um, the top position. So you're standing upright with the bar in front at about mid thigh level. And you initiate the movement by pushing your hips backwards Um, And you bend at the hips and slowly, slowly lower the weight until you feel a stretch in the hamstrings and then you stand back up again. Um, This this variation is like really good at strengthening the hamstrings and the glutes, but it actually places a lot more load through the low back itself. So when you come to the low back injuries, this is the action that kind of like puts people more at risk and by just default it's one of the ones that I recommend last in sort of a a low back rehab protocol. That said, hip hinge is number one exercise I give to all of my acute patients because it just gets them moving and it helps with that fear avoidance behavior as well. And I think Um, you said something,
0: sorry to just butt in for just one sec, but I think that was a really good point um, about fear avoidance behavior because it's the first thing that someone with an acute low back Uh, pain Mm -hmm. intuitively does not want to do Uh, and certainly chronic low back pain very rarely ever do is that hip hinge and it's so foreign to them and they think that any kind of bend must be bad so I guess um, the early stages of this exercise is about building that confidence and and understanding the best way to move and use the body so that you can do what is you know a standard activity of daily living
1: yeah that's right it's just it, it's spot on it's just it's practicing the standard movement that we do in our everyday life and that's why i think it's a really important one that us as chiropractors actually engage and educate our patients about yeah mm. um there's also all the single leg variations as well which i think are fantastic but what variation you use really depends on what you're trying to achieve with your patient. Um, The single leg ones are great because it helps improve balance. Um, It isolates the muscles unilaterally. And in some respects it kind of mimics some of our gait patterns as well, which I think is important.
0: And Um, so for single leg, are you talking about arabesque, Kind of movements yep. and those sorts of things. Yep. Okay. Great. Yep.
1: And we can also talk about like the split stance ones as well. So people yep. that don't have as much confidence standing on one leg, you're in a slightly, you know, split position. So it's a little bit. It's not as hard to do, um, yes. but it's certainly still activates the muscles differently.
0: And if we get back to the two-legged um, version, um, and just think, I guess, of the the standard deadlift, do you suggest that people? uh, if they're they're lifting the weight from low, that they do that from the ground or from uh, a support that's a little bit higher?
1: So One of my favorite variations is actually the rack pull. Um, So that's the one where, or or block pull. Um, So that's when we start the actual weight up a little bit. So it's off the ground. Um, Whenever I have a bit of a flare up for my spondy, this is the one that I go to straight away. I like to, where you start it really depends on what you're trying to achieve. So traditionally you can use this one because you can overload um, that conventional deadlift a little bit. So it's great for actually um, training the bigger athletes for power. So it's great for AFL, it's great for rugby. Um, In terms of rehab, I use a lighter weight. I start it below my knees and it just really gets my low back, my core working, the hamstrings firing, the glute muscles. So once again, you get those muscles working. People experience less, less pain, and they feel a lot better.
0: Great. I want to talk about, um, uh, and this is you uh, just thinking about this. What you said before, teaching people how to hip hinge. So I'm assuming that you'll go through a process with them before they even have their hands on a bar, just to so they understand. How that movement happens—that it's not just the spine curling over—that it's 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 uh, the the movement is primarily happening at the hips. Do you have any special cues or little things that you found helpful for explaining that idea to patients? Because I've always felt that you know, especially those who have poor body awareness, it's a really hard thing to to teach.
1: Honestly, it does my head in. I'd like. When, you, when you're dealing with a general population that's never done it before, you see some really weird things happen. One of the easiest things that you can do is use a broomstick. Um, so you're looking at like kind of like three points of contact. So if the patient can get their hands behind their back, you want the dowel to sort of touch the back of your head in between the scapula and the low back. And from there, you keep the, the spine nice and neutral and you, you bend it at the hips. So one of the the biggest sort of queuing things for, for people that I see get a long uh, wrong a lot is you want to push the hips backwards. A lot of people just try and bend straight over. Yes. It's more of a pushing your bum backwards towards towards someone behind you. And I always say if you feel ridiculous and like your Beyonce, you're doing it perfectly.
0: Right, and just to confirm that broomsticks the length of the spine. We're not talking horizontal; it's from head to, yeah. to butt. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would yeah, probably
1: yeah. help you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can and, try it that way too. But it doesn't it doesn't always work because we do have people with shoulder mobility issues as well. So even just the hands across the front and just sort of like cueing people chest up towards yes. the ceiling can yes. actually really help as well.
0: The other thing that I found is a problem is that they. Overemphasize and hyperextend at their low back. So, totally load up yep. their lumbar spine rather than that just being a maintaining the curve and trying to be relaxed through the movement.
1: Yeah, it's um, a lot of people do hyperextend at the top of the movement. Um, one of the ways that I kind of get around it is teaching people that proper pelvic alignment. So, finding their version of pelvic neutral. So, one of the biggest things I sort of try and teach people in practice. Um, is I always start with the pelvic tilt when they're lying um, to pine on a table. And so we're finding their pelvic neutral as well. It kind of helps them um, translate that into that movement as well. And also if you tell people to contract their quads, they're less likely to overextend at the top of the movement as well.
0: So let's talk about the indicators for where you might prescribe this exercise. I assume that you're using it uh, quite often in your practice.
1: (laughs) Look, not as often as I would love, but no, okay, a lot of people I do give it to. Um, Because if you're bending over and picking things up, I think it's a great exercise to prescribe. But there actually have been a a couple of papers that look at this specifically. Um, The deadlift has been found to be great for people with like non-specific mechanical low back pain, uh, discogenic low back pain, and to a lesser extent, the arthrogenic low back pain as well. Um, a lot of the literature kind of suggests that it is beneficial for those with a lower intensity of pain. So it's under 60 millimetres on the VAS yep. and who also have good lumbar spine uh, endurance of around about 60 seconds on that, uh, I can never say, the earring so- Sorensen test.
0: Yes, so yep. that's
1: the one, yep, where you hold the patient down, they're extended over and they just try and sort of like hold themselves up.
0: Yep, yep. Yeah. So would you do, say, for example, if someone has the, their, their back pain is significant, but not above that sort of six out of 10, but their Sorensen's or extensitone isn't so great, you'd be looking at doing something to build them up to potentially eventually doing a deadlift?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I always, yeah, I always like to start with the pelvic um, pelvic tilts to start off with. Um, and you can also start with something a little bit that's less intimidating, like a hip thrust. But to be honest, dead bugs is one of the easiest progressions that you can actually use as well. Right. Um, we all know what a dead bug is, um, and it just really teaches people. So that helps build up the extensive tone. You can look at doing things like um uh planks as well. But in my experience, if people have poor lumbar spine endurance, they're not going to do well in that unsupported position anyway. Um there's also starting them off with doing simple exercise. Uh, like a lot of people like to use the trap bar, um, which is that weird check bar that a lot of people see at the gym. Yep. It's More of what you consider a functional um, exercise. Um, It has the weight a little bit closer to your center of gravity. And because it's more of a squat mechanic rather than too much of a hip hinge, a lot of people tend to do a lot better. Um, But honestly, starting with the weights higher up is usually the best way to do it as well.
0: Okay, fantastic. So Teaching people breathing
1: is important too.
0: Yep. And so just to recap, then the, the people who you would suggest not to do the exercises of the higher intensity pains um, and people who demonstrate poor extensor tone, but there's maybe some steps to improve that obviously and get them to doing it um, again, um, I guess, is there are people who have just really poor body awareness do you um even if their extensive tone was okay and their pain level was you know mild to moderate it, would there still be some people you say look you know what the way you're doing that just doesn't uh, i don't you're just a, yeah. an injury waiting to happen
1: yeah there's some people that you just look at it and you're like no um i also do have some patients that it just flexion exercises just continually continually aggravate their condition um also, if you're not confident in it, I'd like, I, I really encourage all chiropractors out there to go and get proficient at actually doing it as well because it helps you pick up certain things as well. Um, the more people do this action, the better they get at it as well, I find. Um, but also referring to other people like a strength and conditioning coach to teach people how to work properly is something that you should really look at.
0: Very good. Out of interest, uh, how long does the and what's involved with the um uh, the, the ASCA strength and conditioning program? Is that a, a so many hour, well, hundred hour, twelve hour? What what's what's the commitment to that? Uh,
1: so you get to do kind of a, because we're smart, um, ASCA let us sort of like speed through it. So yeah. uh, the SCA actually have like a sped up version that takes place over a weekend, which is awesome. Uh, then you have to go and actually do. Uh, some practical hours I can't remember the exact breakdown because it was a few years ago but it is something like like it's 30 hours maybe 60 hours sure um, where you go and you observe and you work with you write up programs with a strength and conditioning coach
0: yep yeah okay that's worthwhile I mean some chiropractors might think it's beneath them to go down that level but sometimes to understand the Mm -hmm. basics uh, is really really valuable
1: yeah no I think it's uh, more than valuable to go and do it
0: Great. Right. Uh, so perhaps in wrapping up, what are some of the um, key tips? I mean, I know we've covered some of these already, but some of the key tips and some of the pitfalls uh, when prescribing or doing these exercises.
1: So technique is, is by far the biggest. Um, and that I can really break that down into sort of the, the breathful bracing, um, tightness and foot posture. So for technique, I like to start at the bottom and work my way up people (laughs) so when we look at the feet you want to think of the tripod foot um, so equal pressure between the big toe little toe and heel you want to screw those feet in the ground Um, in terms of uh, stance it's different to everyone but one of the biggest things as well is you've got to remember to keep the bar close Um, you want to keep that 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 weight as close to your center of gravity as possible because that's Mm -hmm. going to reduce the shear forces that are going through your low back When we talk about tightness, we're talking about like um, getting everything in your body tight. So a big cue for me is um, bring your shoulder blades back down towards your your pocket. Mm -hmm. um, So you're actually engaging your lats, almost like you're trying to break the bar against your shins as well. Yeah. when we talk about bracing, we're talking about breath. And so that's that really big breath into our abdominal region, like a Valsalva's maneuver. And you brace like someone's about to punch them in the gut. So you're all nice and tight. And then the last thing is it's actually a push, not a pull maneuver. So you want to push the earth away from you. It's like right. a leg press. You want to pull away. Yeah.
0: Very good advice. Do you, two more questions that um, do you recommend the use of back braces for people who are lifting heavier weights?
1: Belts. The yeah. Belts, yeah. Um, okay. So in, yeah, yeah. In beginner stages, no. I don't. I think it's more important that people actually learn how to breathe and brace properly. When it comes to hip, lifting heavier weights, um, absolutely wear a belt because what it does is uh, it's been actually tested. You actually engage your obliques so and your transversus abdominis more when you push out into the belt. So it actually helps protect your low back.
0: Yeah, great. Uh, and what about grip position? Is it uh, one forward, one back, or whatever is comfortable? It's,
1: so it's whatever. When you're beginning, always go what we call the double hand over. So that's like when both like your, your knuckles are pointing forward. Yeah. As you get start to lift heavier, um, what happens is like your grip uh, isn't as strong as your body, so we start alternating the grip. So that's one hand forward, one hand back, and that kind yeah. of locks things in a bit for us. You can alternate the grip between just to make sure everything's getting uh, sort of worked out evenly. Otherwise, you end up with problems like me where I've got a really strong tricep on one side and a really strong bicep on the other.
0: Um,
1: Then you can start looking at all these other nerdy grips as well, but you don't need to worry about that unless you're actually competing. Yeah.
0: Very good. Well, yes, I think most chiropractors are pretty obsessed with uh, symmetry. So intuitively, I just uh, change the grip every set uh, as well. Um, Now, you mentioned about the sort of brace position and the breathing. Is there any instruction to, you know, uh, breathe in or out through, you know, the up or down motion?
1: Um, so you always take the big breath in when you're at the bottom position when you're starting to let a lift, yep. and then it's that slow exhale on the way down as well. So right. big breath in at the bottom, and you want to hold it and then slow slow, slow on the right way back down. Um, same when you're doing the uh, the RDL as well, you want to sort of like you brace the top of the lift and like breathe out on the way down.
0: Right. So, so, so I've got that correct. Yeah. If I'm grabbing and, and the, the weight is on the ground, I'm going to take my breath in. I'm going to brace. I'm going to lift yeah. and not breathe cool. while I'm lifting, yeah. but then breathe slowly yeah. as I lower it Close, down. And Perfect. And good All luck. Right. Try not to out. Yes, yes, indeed. All right. Look, I, I think that's covered everything that I, um, that I, and as someone who does deadlifts and really enjoys them, I think you've uh, helped fine tune my technique just uh, a little bit today. And I know you'll be speaking more on this topic at the symposium. Uh, Thank you, Sarah, so much for your time today on the ACA podcast. It's been really wonderful.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate
0: it. Fantastic. Look forward to meeting you in person at the symposium. Uh, But that's it for me. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence. And I look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast.